If you've got a Bible, could you turn it to Hebrews 8? Don't you just hate it when books of the Bible just disappear? It's like, I thought it was there and now it's not there. Hebrews 8, and it's going to go from verse 7. For if that first covenant, which we know is the law of Moses, Old Testament, if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, and this is, he quotes Jeremiah, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like, say not like, not like. The covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand. I led them out of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. I did not care for them. Oh, I've got a clock. That's good. Says the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds. I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God. And they shall be my people and they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother saying, know the Lord for all will know me for the least to the greatest of them, for I will be merciful to their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. Verse 13, when he said a new covenant, he made the first obsolete. For whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. We live in a time of a new covenant where this is fulfilled 2,000 years ago through the cross, through what happened. We live in a new covenant which is not like the old. Now, not lots of times when we think about not like, we think, and the old, we think if the first covenant is like an iPhone 8, then the new covenant is like an iPhone 10 or something like that. No, it's not like the old it's a bit like having letters going across oceans is the first covenant where you can't talk to the person, whereas the second covenant is I can have a video call with my maker, not just a written letter which I have to work and understand what it meant and what was the tone of voice. I can actually hear the voice of God for myself where he writes it on my heart, the laws of my heart, not just written down in my mind and in my heart. Now, I was in the, and I know I've told this story loads of times, but it's a great story, so I'll tell it again. I was in the Czech Republic, and, and I was on the streets with some amazing young people, and, and I, I just ministered to this, to this lady, um, a, a gypsy lady who just wanted, just wanted my money, and I ended up giving her some money, and then she found Jesus. It was incredible, a story. But anyway, while that was going on, uh, one, one of the girls who was with me, who was, who was translating for me, was talking to um, her daughter, who was only about six or seven, and I looked over and went, I'm not comfortable with this. She's talking to a six, seven-year-old that... that how, has that six, seven-year-old really, you know, can, can she be witnessed to? I'm, I'm not so sure. So I went over to go and basically stop, what, stop witnessing to the six to seven-year-old girl. But as I'm walking over, I can smell the fragrance of heaven. And it's a bit weird because I can tell God is happening here, but something beautiful is happening here. And I say smell, it's kind of like you smell with your eyes. It's a bit odd, but you could just sense God was there. So rather than actually stopping, I ended up joining in. Which, which is a bit odd, but somehow the mum was there. I was able to look over to the mum and somehow do hand signals. And it was, you know, she speaks Czech, I speak English. Somehow I got permission. We knew to go and minister to this, this young girl. And I, I got to just stick her hand out and I put my hands either side of her hand. And I just prayed with the presence of God into her hand. And it's just all being relayed through, through, the, through the translator. And, and the, the young girl's like going, wow, I can feel something weird going on in my hand. And I said, brilliant. So, so I prayed for the presence of God would go from my hand into her arm. And then this girl was saying, wow, I can feel it all up my arm now. This, this weird PC warmth kind of, kind of thing going through. I, I'm not quite that sure how, that's what she said, but it was through translation anyway. And then I prayed it all over her body and, and she was feeling the presence of God completely consuming her all over her body. And then I, and then I prayed this, Lord, let her hear your voice. 
before the girl who was translating for me could say a word, the young, the young Czech girl, about five or six, it, it starts just babbling away in, in Czech. I couldn't understand the word she was saying. The girl who was translating was like, they open mouth just going, what's happened? What's happened? I don't understand what's happened. And then, and then I'm saying, so I'm saying to her, what's happened? And she goes, she says she can hear him speaking to her. I was blown away because I kind of meant like, can you hear the voice of God like in a kind of like theoretical metaphor that she would just know that God exists? Not that she would actually hear God speaking directly to her. And then, we, so we, we're just amazed at what's going on. And uh, this girl then starts to go through like a form of sinner's prayer. It wasn't exactly a sinner's prayer. Me, me and, this, me and this, this, this girl who was translating for me are redundant. We don't even need to talk to this girl because she is meeting Jesus for herself, saying, uh, committing her life to Jesus on her own without us uh, even intervening. When that happened, I remembered this, voice, this verse. They shall not teach everyone uh, his fellow citizens and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me from the least to the greatest of them, for I will be merciful to them and I will remember their sins no more. What I experienced, or what that girl experienced, is this. It's the new covenant. Why was I so shocked? Because, well, I don't think we really believe what the new covenant is. Most churches and most Christians kind of interpret the, the new covenant as a bit of a take on the first. I'll I tell you what I mean. We, we keep the, the Ten Commandments, well, most of them anyway. We, we're a bit funny with the Sabbath. So we keep the Ten, and we keep some of the uh, ones about sexual morality. Uh, we chuck out the food ones. Uh, we chuck out the cultural clove ones and something to do with, with how you have to have people in your, your home and stuff like that because we don't like having people in the home. So we chuck those ones out as well. Let's be honest, we do it by, we make spiritual arguments for what we want rather than necessarily what the Bible says. Just being honest. And then we led the other ones. So, you know, tithing was supposed to go to the temple, but somehow, you know, us church leaders like telling you that tithing should go to your local church rather than actually what the Bible says, which says is if you've got a spare house, sell it and give it to the church. But anyway... We, we change things and try and make like a, a second covenant out of taking stuff away, adding stuff and editing what was in the first covenant. But the first covenant is not like the second. God did not write the, first co the second covenant on stone. The first covenant, it was his finger. We know up at Mount Sinai, he engraved the, in, the, in the stone tablets himself with his finger into stone. In the second covenant, he says, I will not carve it into stone. I will carve it into your hearts. You will not find a new covenant written on stone. That's not what God wrote it. God did not even write it on paper. I know that sounds heretical, but he didn't. Read the Bible. He didn't write it on paper. It is too valuable. He didn't write it on your computer screen. It is so valuable, he wrote it on one place, on the hearts and minds of his people. That is where the new covenant is written. So I'm going to take a little journey about what this new covenant means. But first, before I do that, I think we should go back to the original, the first covenant, so that we can get a bit of an understanding. So if you turn from Hebrews 8, turn to Exodus, verse, chapter 19, verse 5. Where we've got to in, in the story of, of the Israelites is they've been in... They've been in Egypt. They've, they've, got, they've got, escaped Egypt. They've gone over uh, the river, Red Sea. That's it, Red Sea. And now Moses is talking with God. And God says this in chapter 19, verse 5. 
Now then, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So Moses has charged to speak to Israel to say, God wants to speak to you. He wants to, you to hear his voice and be in covenant, be in relationship with him. Sounds very similar to what we just read about the new covenant, hearing his voice and being in relationship with him. So the people of Israel, I have to do this quick because of time. The people of Israel went away. They consecrated themselves. Three days later, they, they, they gather to hear God on, on Mount Sinai. Let's pick up the story in verse 16. So it came about on the third day when it was morning that there was thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain and a very loud trumpet sound so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. Wow, scary, eh? Verse 17, and Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Verse 18, now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and its smoke ascended like the fire of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked violently. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him with thunder. Wow, he's talking to God and he's answering him in thunder. That doesn't mean literal thunder. It means a very loud voice, voice in, in multiple languages, if you actually go back to the Hebrew. God then explains the Ten Commandments. He, he gives the Ten Commandments to the people. Let's pick up it in, I'm sorry, I'm having to do it quick. Chapter 20, verse 18. All the people perceived the thunder. Put it this way. All the people saw the thunder. Does that seem odd? All the people saw the thunder. Thunder's a noise. All the people saw the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. When the first, when the Ten Commandments were given... What was happening? There was a shaking of the ground. There was thunder. There was lightning. There was smoke. There was fire. There was God's voice speaking to the people. In, and they describe it like thunder. What is the Jewish understanding of what was happening? Well, I can, I can read from the Midrash, which isn't, it's not the Bible, so don't think I'm going there. The Midrash is a commentary of what the Jewish people think about interpreting their own scriptures. This is what the Jewish tradition will tell you about what is happening when the first covenant is given. This is from a rabbi, Johann ben Zakin. I probably completely said his name wrong. When God gave the Torah on Sinai, he displayed untold marvels to Israel with his voice. What happened? God spoke and the voice reverberated throughout the whole world. It says all the people witnessed the thunderings. He then says this, God's voice as it was uttered, split up into 70 voices, into 70 languages, so all that the nations should understand. That's a non-Messianic Jewish understanding of, of this scripture. I'll give you another one from uh, Rabbi Moshe Weissman. In the occasion of giving of the Torah, the children of Israel not only heard the Lord's voice, but actually saw the sound waves as they emerged from the Lord's mouth. They visualized them as a fiery substance. Each commandment that left the Lord's mouth traveled around the entire camp and then to each Jew individually, asking him, do you accept upon yourself this commandment with all the Jewish law pertaining to it? Every Jew answered yes after each commandment, 
Finally, the fiery substance which they saw, it graved itself on the tablets. I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm saying that's the Jewish understanding of, of, of what happened. There is smoke. There is fire. There is shaking. There is loud noise. There is voices in multiple languages happening. Sound a bit familiar? Fire in multiple languages. Anyway, I'll, I'll leave that one hanging. But as we read on in the story, the, the, it didn't quite go to plan. Remember, God said, I want to, people to hear my voice and be in relationship with me. Well, the people, after experiencing all this shaking and fire and, and seeing God's words come out in a smoke, were quite scared. So scared that they said to Moses, please go to God for us. We don't want to experience that again. We don't want to hear his voice. We don't want to be in his presence like that. I tell you what, Moses, if you go to God, find out what he wants, and we'll just sit in our camp and stay away because we are scared that if we experience that again, if we are in his presence, in that cloud, with all that fire and thunder, we'll die. So Moses goes to God and God says, well, yeah, they're probably right. They can just stay in the camp and I will tell you and you go and tell it to them. We end up with 613 commandments, which God told Moses, but didn't tell the people. That was never the plan. When it says in Hebrews 8, which is quoting Jeremiah, God found fault with the first covenant. Maybe it's part of that, because it was never supposed to be that they read the commandments or got told the commandments by someone else. They were supposed to hear the commandments from the voice of God themselves. But it was too scary, so they chose a different covenant. While Moses is up the mountain, getting these 613 uh, extra laws, which we know, which, which make the Torah, which make which, the, the law of Moses, the people got scared, the people got bored, the people did something silly, and they built a golden calf and decided to worship a golden calf rather than God himself. Why would they do that? They've just experienced God, and yet they want to create their own God. Well, this is what happens when you ask, rather than to hear his voice for yourself, and rather to experience God yourself, you say, actually, I'm going to stay over here. You tell me what God says, and then I can interpret it how I like. I can make it mean what I like, and then I can build my God in my own image, and I can obey the rules how I see them rather than necessarily how they were meant. Moses comes down the mountain, I know this really quick. Moses came down the mountain, sees that what's happening, calls people, says, if you're for me, come to me. He gets some people together and then, and I can't explain this, the ventures of God, those people that were with him were given swords and went through the, Is the Israelites' camp, killed in, killing 3,000 people for the sin of this golden calf. What happened at the first when, when the first covenant was given, there was fire, there was smoke, there was rumbling, there was, there was God speaking in multiple languages, and 3,000 people die because of it. That's the fruit of it. Now, in Israel, there, are, there was three feasts where they had to pilgrim, the Israelites had to pilgrim to Jerusalem to celebrate together. They couldn't do it on their own. They had to come to, to, to Jerusalem. The three feasts are Passover, which we know, the Feast of Tabernacles. And then the last one, the Feast of Shavuot, which is first fruits. And that feast is about the giving of the law. It's actually literally called the Feast of the Seven Weeks because it was seven weeks 
after the, the, cross, the Passover, after crossing over the, the, the Red Sea, but, but um, the law was given. So it's called seven weeks. It's a bit of a weird name to give it. We've got, we've got a uh, no, party. It's not called Christmas. It's called seven weeks. It's, and it lasts, I don't know how long it lasts. Anyway, when they translated seven weeks into Greek to put it into, in, into the Gospels, into what we've got, because it's not written in the Hebrew in the New Testament, they didn't translate it as seven weeks. They translated it as the feast of 50 days. 49 days, seven weeks, 50 days. Makes sense, yeah? 50 days. Pentecost. The feast of Pentecost is the feast of Shavuot, which is seven weeks. It's the feast of the giving of the law. For us who are Pentecostals, we sometimes think that, or we be allowed to be forgiven for thinking that the feast of Pentecost came about in Acts 2. No, it, it was already there. It was the, what have I done? Oh, dear. Don't want to do that. Thank you. It was the feast of Pentecost is the feast of remembering that the law was given to the people of Israel. One of the scriptures that they would have been studying as they gather for this feast is Jeremiah 31. If you want to turn to it, you don't have to. Jeremiah 31. Verse 31. Which says this. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with the fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people." On the Feast of Pentecost, the Jewish people are gathering to remember the giving of the law and they are reciting, I will, Jeremiah 31, but he will write the law on their hearts. What else are they looking at? Joel, the book of Joel, which, which, which Peter quotes. So you've got all these people and they, they've, they've, they've traveled. They're reading Jeremiah 31. They're, they're talking about the fire on the mountain. They're talking about the shaking on the mountain. They're talking about God speaking in multiple languages. And then this happens in Acts 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost has come, they were all together in one place talking about disciples. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, why are not all these who are speaking, why are not these speaking Galilean? Can you see what's happened? The Israelites have gathered together to talk about the first law and the beginning of the second law. They hear a noise. They come out to find what they've just been reading about, what they've just been talking about, fire, tongues, trembling, shaking, a massive noise. What is the result? Well, the result of the first covenant was that 3,000 people were slain. What's the result of the second covenant giving, Pentecost, round two? 3,000 people are added to the church. 3,000 slain on the first covenant. 3,000 added to the church in the second covenant. 
Now, I hate to, to be one of these people, and I hate it when people do to me. I, when, when, when I say I'm going to hoover up the floor, and I pick up my Dyson, they go, well, you're not hoovering up the floor, are you? Because you can't hoover up the floor with a Dyson, because it's, hoovering is the brand made. You mean vacuuming, vacuum cleaning. But I'm going to do it here. We do not need another Pentecost. We do not need another second commandment, second um, covenant. We have it. What we normally mean by we need a, a, another Pentecost is, and that lovely hymn, we need another outpouring. But that is only a little bit of what Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost stands for. It stands for this, that God came down and, and his Holy Spirit covered us and filled us so that we have law written on our hearts and our minds, not on paper. I spoke when, uh, two weeks ago, if, if you were with us, and I was talking about Acts 1 verse 8, about how the Spirit comes upon us so that we are a witness. The Holy Spirit comes upon us, not just so that we get filled, not so that we just get drunk in the Spirit, which is brilliant, I love it. It's so that we are a witness. It's so that we become the image of Christ. Let, let me just give you another uh, Bible verse, Romans 12 verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may, sorry, so the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Why does the Holy Spirit come upon us? Holy Spirit is poured out of us so we are witness. The Holy Spirit comes upon us so that we prove that God is righteous. That we prove that God is right. What is the Holy Spirit doing? He is changing our hearts. He's changing our minds so that we think and we feel and we do things just like Jesus would. Our covenant is not a whole list of rules which we have to obey. Our covenant is different. God speaks directly to our heart, to our minds, and transforms us into his very image. In Genesis 1, it says that we are made in the, in the image of God and his likeness. When Jesus came back, he was, he was restoring what was lost in Eden. But not only do we know what God says, we walk like God. We act like God. That's why he says that we are his ambassadors. We are proving what heaven is like by us just living that's why he says that we are his righteousness. What's that mean? We are making things right in this world because we have been made right with him. The new covenant is not about, I know I shouldn't steal. The new covenant is walking a life that doesn't steal. The new covenant is not knowing I shouldn't work on the Sabbath. The new covenant is living a life that doesn't work on the Sabbath. It's, it's so much more. It's so much bigger. We say that you will be, now you're the Bible that most people will ever read. You are the Jesus that most people will ever see. Jesus was up on, on uh, when he gave the, on a mountain, he was giving the Beatitudes, and, he, and he, uh, Jesus is the light of the world. He turns around to the crowd and says, you are the light of the world. What is the point of us being on this earth? Why are we here? How didn't we get saved when we went, said a sinner's prayer, go straight to heaven? It's because we are the light of the world to demonstrate who God is and what he's like. That is our role in this earth. Not just to know about him, but to breathe, act, do things that he would. That is who we are.
But let me just tell you the danger. The danger is this. People hear the voice of God, and I'm going to put it like this. And the voice of God might go, you married the wrong woman. You need to divorce that person and marry someone else. We all know here, sat here, that would not be the voice of God. But how do you know what God is saying and what he's not saying? 1 Thessalonians says this. 5 verse 19, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophetic utterances, examine everything carefully, hold fast to what is good and reject evil. A lot of people read that verse and they go, oh, well, we've got to reject evil, we better not have prophecy. No, have prophecy, do not quench the spirit. When the spirit comes upon us, we have prophecy, we have dreams, we have words, we hear from heaven what car to buy, what house to go into, where to live, everything pertaining to life. But how do we know it is God or not? Well, one of the major reasons is this, you know the Bible, back to front. If it doesn't line up with the word of God, you know that cannot be the spirit of God. You see, when you understand the new covenant, you start to realize, I need to know the Bible even more than I would if I was in the first covenant because I've got to hear the voice of God and I've got to work out, is that the voice of God or is that not? The main way that I hear God speaking to me is when I open my Bible and I start reading. He speaks to me through the pages. How do we hear the voice? One is to read the word. The second, how to hear the word of God. This is how I find it, and, and I'm sorry to all the preachers I do it to. I put, I put on a, a, if I'm really struggling, I put on a preaching message. And like five minutes in, suddenly God's speaking to me, completely independent, a completely different topic of what the preacher's on. But suddenly, by just by listening to a preacher, something gets active within me. And once again, I hear the voice of God. How do I hear the voice of God? I worship him. I pray. It's not something which comes easy. It's something where you need to spend time listening and hearing what he's saying so you can know how to live your life. Know how to react in a certain way. I think we need to go into, into a place where we are like the film Karate Kid. Not, not the, second, the rubbish second one, the, the rubbish first one. Do you remember the, the first one? For those who are, who are old enough, the, the, the boy goes to see, was it Miyagi? And Miyagi's like telling him to basically decorate and clean his, clean his house and clean, his, clean his, uh, his cars. And it's wax on, wax off, and he's doing all these moves. And he's just learning how to do these moves. And, and, and suddenly the boy complains to, to, to Miyagi and goes, I thought you were going to teach me how to fight. All you've got me doing is, is, uh, is cleaning my car, is building your house for him. And then, and then Miyagi goes and you know, does a fighting move to him, and immediately he goes, wax on, wax off. And suddenly he insta instantly knows how to, to fight because he's been doing it over and over and over again. It just happens that he was doing it waxing the car and building a house. It was a great, great, great combat by Miyagi, wasn't it, for those who know the film? We need to be Christians who aren't just, aren't just like this. I wonder what God says about this in this situation. Let me go into the Bible. I think we need to, to move into a place where we don't just know the scriptures or look at the scriptures, but when we are in a, in a situation where we are being challenged, where we need to act instantly, but we automatically know this is the way I do it. That's what I don't do. This is what I say to this person, to this question. This is how I pray in this situation. So that we live and breathe the likeness of God, not having to reference it in the book, but we live and breathe God himself. 
That is the second covenant. Not that we just know about him and we can discuss it, but we live and breathe with Jesus. We walk with Jesus. We walk in step with the Holy Spirit every step of our lives, knowing how to react by instinct in every situation we are because we are that in tune with what he's saying to us. So what is what is the new covenant? The covenant, new covenant is this. We have access to God who writes on our hearts and our minds. Not only just tells us what to do, but changes the way we think, changes the way we feel, changes the way we live, changes the way we do life. That is the new covenant, but it doesn't come about just by sitting around. It comes about by spending time listening to him, understanding what the word of God is, understanding his voice and understanding when it was just a, a nice idea that you wanted to happen rather than God speaking to you. Last scripture I'm going to give you is this. It's John 10, 27. Jesus says this, My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. Now I can use that as a big stick to, to hit you with if I wanted to. And that's honestly how most people read their Bibles is they say, that, I don't hear the voice of God enough. I must not be a Christian. I must not be doing it right because I can't hear the voice of God. I want to turn it the other way around. You who have said yes to Jesus, you can hear the voice of God. That's what my Bible says. That's what I believe. You may have to filter it out, but you can hear the voice of God. You can. His sheep know his voice. I remember the first time, well, the first time I remember of hearing his voice, I was about five. And I was sat in a meeting, it was, it was in, uh, in Kent, in, in, a, in a summer camp, and there was an appeal for salvation within, within the, the kids' meeting. I knew in here, I needed to get up and make a, a dedication to Christ. I needed to go and say the sinner's prayer and whatever else. It wasn't that I heard an audible voice. It wasn't even that I had thoughts going through my mind. I just felt a drawing that I needed to go and do something. That is the voice of God. God speaks through emotions. He speaks through words. Sometimes he even speaks loudly, but most of the time he speaks through other people. He speaks when you read the word. He speaks through worship. There's no shortcuts. But to hear the word of God, we just need to spend time with him and get to know his voice. And sometimes it means you have to actually step out in something he said to see if it was right or wrong.